perhaps the most memorable encounter I've had with anyone. Those who want to innovate, the small and medium enterprise, once you pass out a small and medium business and they want to innovate to get past their competitors, they'll say, I want to go from something that's very quick to market to something that's very quick to innovate. And the companies that are mixing and molding SaaS and open source together are going to dominate that space. Welcome to the Own Your Commerce podcast, where leading experts, brands, and innovators reveal strategies for e-commerce growth. I'm your host, Jay Myers, and this show is brought to you by Bold Commerce. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Own Your Commerce. On today's episode, I have Kareem Maruki joining us. He's the CEO of Crowd Favorite and one of the most forward-thinking leaders in the digital experience platform space that you'll ever meet and really all things open source. I really enjoyed this conversation, uh, diving into the differences between speed to market and speed to innovation and understanding the key differences between the two, knowing what's important for your business and then choosing the best or combination of frameworks to build on. Cream has worked with some of the largest brands in the world, such as Disney, Lexus, Campbell's, National Geographic, the, the list goes on, helping them innovate on WooCommerce and open source platform. I also have as a bonus guest with me today, Mike Sanchez. He's the chief revenue officer here at Bold, uh, also formerly with WP Engine, and he has a ton of experience in the open source space as well, too. So this was really a fascinating conversation, and I, I think one you're really going to enjoy. So let's dive into it. Kareem, thank you so much for joining us today. Why don't we start? I got two special guests with me today. I have Mike Sanchez and Kareem Maruki, CEO at Crowd Favorite. I want to quickly get each of you guys to introduce yourself and then we'll jump into it. So Kareem, who are you and what is Crowd Favorite? Hi, Jay. Thank you. Originally, I'm an architect who fell in love with building things. And then in the mid 90s, I quite by accident fell into the internet and software and loved it. And one thing led to the other. And today I'm CEO of Crowd Favorite. My specialty has always been sort of complex internet projects, starting with the enterprise, but then working with all sorts of interesting, complex companies. And I've worked on all sorts of startups, and I've helped companies go public, and I've helped entrepreneurs start businesses. But most of all, it's about helping fix these complex problems that our clients come up with. I read something you, was it back in like 94, 95, you helped build a game for Pixar? Was it? Bugs Life or no? What was it? Yeah. One of our claims to fame was we were one of Los Angeles's first web shops and we built the Bugs Life website for Steve Jobs at the time, who was doing all the approvals himself of all the marketing. It's crazy. Like if that's not a uh, qualification right there, I don't know what is. <laughs> <laughs> and to build some type of a, because there was a gaming aspect to it, right? On the site. Definitely. Yeah. There was all sorts with, of little pieces of it that were crazy. With what the web was then, that must have been no easy feat. <laughs> so. This was before Flash was a game engine. So yeah. Oh man. Using yeah, an, old, exactly. an old Macromedia director, if anybody's that old. <laughs> <laughs> Way ahead of your time. <laughs> and Mike. So Mike Sanchez is our CRO at Bold and he's joining us today as well. Mike, can you uh, give us a little bit quick background on who you are? Yeah, I would love to. So yeah, uh, CRO at Bold started in November of uh, 2019. Similar to Cream, I have been kind of a, a tech nerd my entire life. Started off actually in software development uh, early on in my career and really just started taking a bunch of different tracks and uh, to different roles from uh, business oriented, technical architects, you know what I mean? And then found myself in like sales partnerships, business development. So yeah, it's been uh, seven and a half years at Rackspace, about a couple of years at BigCommerce, met Kareem. Uh, my last job was at WP Engine for four years where my, uh, my last role was leading uh, partnerships there. So Kareem and I have a history there doing some really cool stuff, working on some really great clients. That's actually one of the big reasons why they were such a key partner to bring in to Bold to, to collaborate on some of the great stuff that we're doing today. So yeah, happy to be here and happy to, to do this chat today. Awesome. So for a little bit of background, so Kareem, crowd favorite, is it the like the largest digital agency for WordPress? I know you're not one of the longest. All. Not at all. Crowd Favorite was founded originally by Alex King, one of the original contributors who helped start the project with Matt Mullenweg and Mike Little. Okay. And then he wanted to figure out this challenge of scaling WordPress. So mm. Alex founded the Crowd Favorite brand in 2007 
as a brand to really focus on scaling WordPress, originally in publishing. Right. And him and I met in 2011, 2012, because my team was brought on to help Walt Disney Studios move from an on-premises private software to open source for the entire okay. organization. So we helped architect okay. that. So we started talking, one thing led to another. And at the end of 2013, we merged. Wow. And that was the three companies, right? That was three companies. It was uh, MyVeloMedia, CrowdFavorite, and 40Design out of Tempe, Arizona. Who was it that was one of the people involved that was early on with WordPress? For That would be Alex King, the founder of the oh, original. That project. was it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So I guess, and so you work with larger brands. It can be in kind of any space, right? Whether it's e-commerce or whether they're media brands, or is there any specific vertical you focus on or? Well, originally going back my whole 20 something years, it started with enterprise, but as we started specializing on more complex projects, you know, as we'll talk about even later on, it comes down to performance and personalization whenever you get through to anything. And really, we start with companies like Disney, which everybody knows. And then we have clients like Victolic, which mm. not a lot of people know out there, but they're one of the major brands in commercial plumbing. They mm. own the market. They're huge in their industry. Then we have some consumer favorites, like if anybody who lives in Texas knows HEB and Central Market. Mm. And then some great innovative startups like Counterculture Coffee. So you don't have to be an enterprise client to have complex problems. Right. So we work with these brands to just solve some complex issues and help them get past what their pain points are today. Interesting. So I guess that kind of leads into one of the main things. I have a few things I want to make sure we touch on in this episode, <laughs> but WordPress, open source, and you've chosen to build your business around it. Why? Well, so as I mentioned earlier, I spent so many years in the enterprise space where we had on-premises closed source software or the very beginnings of SaaS. And we were limited by either the on-prem software, on-premises software, or the beginnings of the SaaS market. The customers were held back by how quickly the platforms could innovate. So right. what we wanted to do is say, what, let's take a look at open source. How can open source be different. And way back in 2007, 2008, I looked at the very beginning of what WordPress was and at the time Drupal and other open source projects for content management, because everything starts with content management, like it or not, on the internet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And really what drew me to WordPress was this two incredible factors. Incredible factor number one was this concept of a core and keeping their modules or plugins separate and their theming or their front end separate. More on that later. And then number yeah. two, more importantly, was you could get anybody to learn how to use WordPress in about five minutes. Mm -hmm. Content. Right? Yeah. You take those two things together and that's why a company like Walt Disney Company Corporation would say, let's go and switch to WordPress because anybody can edit this content on here. It was a wonderful idea. It was just that it couldn't scale at the time. At the time, it was only right. scaling for publishers where you could heavily cache and put things into memory that you wouldn't have to have dynamic websites. So that was a challenge more than 10 years ago. It's interesting you say everything started with content because I feel now everything's going back to content. Mm -hmm. It's even like the biggest e-commerce brands are really becoming media and content companies that have a commerce aspect to it. So Absolutely. we're kind of coming full circle on it. So why don't we, Mike, if there's, if you want to say anything at any point, cut me off or anything, but then open source, like I feel like right now, bold plays, we're in the e-commerce space and we see there's, you've got custom builds, you've got platforms, you've got SaaS solutions, you've got open source. I want to just make sure that everyone has a good definition of open source. How do you define open source? Just so everyone's clear on that. Well, for the, I won't give the standard technical ones. I'll say for folks who don't know what open source is out here, the idea here is software that doesn't have licensing restrictions around paying for license. Software that 
you are free to edit, you are free to customize, you can do all the things you want to do with around innovating. That was what drew me to open source is the innovation aspect of it. While, you know, bold is a SaaS today, but bold embodies the idea of moving very quickly. Bold embodies the ideas of being open. A lot of SaaS software out there, you're stuck with moving only as fast as a platform can move forward. And on-premises software, which was the old alternative, the same thing, you're sort of stuck with, I can only do whatever my competitors are doing because those mm. functions are released all at the same time. What drew mm. me to open source originally was the fact that you could innovate very quickly and inexpensively and play with new customization mm-hmm. that your competitors as a brand may not be doing yet. Yeah, it's an interesting dilemma. SaaS makes it easy for everyone, but when it's easy for everyone, it's actually harder for everyone from a competitive standpoint. I heard the, the quote, it was, it's the hard thing about easy things. And when things become easy, they actually become hard. So like when everyone has access to something, it's no longer a competitive advantage. And so in the open source world, mm-hmm. is it a fair statement that there is a bit of a higher barrier of entry, but once in, there's a higher level of future flexibility and growth and competitive advantage? Right. So today, one of the big buzzwords out there is codeless development. People want to drag and drop their entire website into being. That is absolutely mm-hmm. the easiest way to get moving quickly for the, the, you know, to get in from zero, right? Right. But the minute you want to try and do something different or you want to try and customize or you don't like the way something happens on the screen that you only have three options for on that codeless version, then you have to start actually either writing code and getting into one of these bespoke mm-hmm. solutions. Or the wonderful thing about open source, for those of you who don't know, for instance, the WordPress world is, WordPress is one core product, but there's mm-hmm. over 60,000 free plugins out there on an open source repository at wordpress.org that you can play with. So no matter what you want your website to do, whether it's written in a performant way or not, if it'll work well for you or not, there's something out there for you to play with. Right. And that might get you to say, okay, whether I know de- my own development, I'm a developer, I can hire a developer, I know a developer, I can change that and make that unique to my proposition for selling. Right. So then can we jump into the advantages of using open source versus SaaS? And maybe let's talk about the advantages. I imagine there's pros and cons too, right? It's not just black and white. And right. there's probably times when it might, when one makes sense and when the other makes sense. But let's start first, as you see it, the advantages of SaaS over open source or vice versa. Okay. The advantages of SaaS at the very beginning are initial financial cost. SaaS, you yep. get up and running literally by subscribing to yeah. SaaS products, right? So very quick to have a low cost entry. The operation, the second thing is the operational burden right. is very low because literally you're not maintaining it. It's being maintained for you, right? Then sort of the deep instant scaling is the big thing that SaaS has, right? Your cost right. might go up if, if all of a sudden you get mentioned on a major network on TV or something, but it just will instantly go there because your SaaS provider is ready for that, as opposed yeah. to having to do it yourself or depending on your hosting or 10 other things. So SaaS has always had those advantages. Mm-hmm. Not that you couldn't solve those with open source, but those were the beginning of advantages. And to solve mm-hmm. them with open source, you either had to be very innovative or you had to spend lots of money, right? Then on the other hand, with open source, you had data security and privacy, you're always in charge of your own data. You're not giving it out onto a SaaS platform, which is the most common complaint about SaaS these days, especially the enterprise. The speed of innovation, definitely. With open source, you can do things much more quickly. And then vendor lock-in. Back from pre-internet days, our cable companies and our cell phone companies would try to limit what they call churn. Now that's come mm-hmm. into the SaaS world. It's like, how do I keep my customer and keep them from migrating to my competitor? Well, with open source, it's all open data. So it's very easy mm-hmm. to move open source X to Y, or it's open to, it's easy to move 
to work with other systems, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So those are the six key elements and sort of how it's been divided traditionally. Yeah. But change is coming. <laughs> yeah. And on that point, you know, so like what I'm hearing, it's you have open source customization, innovation, right? Mm-hmm. Not feeling that you can future-proofing yourself, but costly potentially, depending on how big the project is. And then SaaS is, you know, quicker to market. So right. I think I'm kind of leading to where you think things are changing, but how do you bridge the benefits of both of these and and be able to kind of leverage both a SaaS or, or an open source and pull things together to <laughs> create the best thing? So taking advantage of that, I'm an old dog in a new internet, I'll say 20 years ago, we talked about how we had to integrate legacy enterprise systems with these cool new content management systems. And you had to integrate one function at a time. Well, now we have APIs and everybody's talking about how APIs work. The future is having the power of SaaS, which is that performance, which is I'm going to do the hard calculations, the complex, costly functions on a SaaS cloud. Yet I'm going to have the customization and the innovation that I can have with open source Mm. through open, like, What we think of today as APIs, it's just going to go crazy because APIs are becoming headless, right? Mm -hmm. The word API is now being replaced by decoupled or headless and just APIs are a part of that. So Mm -hmm. as these things keep growing, those who want to innovate, the small and medium enterprise, once you pass out a small, medium business and they want to innovate to get past their competitors, they'll say, I want to go from something that's very quick to market to something that's very quick to innovate. Mm-hmm. And the companies that are mixing and molding SaaS and open source together are going to dominate that space. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's an interesting way of looking at it. I feel there's, oh, I'll, I'll ask you before I say, what, like, what, what do you think builds will look like in five years? The mid to larger e-commerce stores, like how will they approach a build and what will be different in five years versus now? Right, so... I know you guys on this podcast are very focused towards the commerce side, but I'm sure you guys have talked about or looked into the new buzz term DXP, digital experience platform, that's replacing Mm -hmm. the CMS, right? Yeah. All that means, bottom line, is that 360-degree view of your customer, right? So in five years, it's no longer going to be about your content management system versus your e-commerce. It's not going to be about your offline versus your online. It's not going to be about that experience for your customer. And in a new digital experience, in an innovation where you have your store and your marketing so integrated that it really bleeds in between the two, you can't tell the difference. They're so blended. It's going to be just a seamless experience. Right now, whether you look at some of the major stores out there like L.L. Bean or others where it's very different even pre-COVID going into the store versus ordering online versus ordering on the phone, those were three different experiences. Mm-hmm. Right? My, mm-hmm. my mother, who still orders on the phone too. or goes to the store, like they charge her to send something back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's that about, right? Right. That's all going to be blurred because the brands who can actually make this a seamless concept across that, that 360 relationship, it's going to be amazing. And the only way you can do that is if you're integrating the best of breed of everything. So incredible, Mm -hmm. incredible online um, e-commerce platform with your customer intelligence platform, with your content management system. You're really going to have to be able to blend those together. Some people are betting on one system. Like in the enterprise today, Adobe tries to say, we can take care of everything, A to Z, cradle to grave. Mm -hmm. We have a solution for anything you need. But then you're in their universe and you're stuck there. You can't innovate. You can't integrate. You're really just doing whatever's going on with them. And if you happen to be the top 10 brands in the country, you can tell Adobe, hey, get this feature out quickly. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. you're just waiting for them to come out with what's next. Right. If we look at what's now become, what is the new MarTech number, Mike? 5,000, 7,000? Yeah. How many MarTech? My eyes bleed when I see that uh, When I see that visual every time. Right. <laughs> but that 
that's keeping innovation. That's the disruptive nature of technology, right? So the small, medium enterprises and the businesses out there who want to innovate are looking at these technologies and they're saying, I'm using this commerce platform and this CMS, but I want to specialize with this thing over here. How do I integrate those? And today, we're just at the very beginning of all those APIs coming together. I mean, yeah. Zapier and If This Then That were based on the fact that things weren't talking yeah. to each other. That's why they exist, yeah. right? Yeah. As platforms start realizing that their future is based on APIs and integration, that's going to just be taken for granted. Yeah, we've definitely seen that accelerated and to be true in the e-commerce space. And it's not the best, like when you talk about the different aspects, like your content, your customer intelligence, it's not the same tool for different brands that makes sense. For certain brands, it's one tool. For a certain brand, it's another. And it might change over time as well, too. Like one brand might swap in one content management system or order management and then swap in another. I agree 100% with that. That's yeah. refreshing to hear. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of kill what Vagroom said, right? The old vendor lock-in issue that you used to run in before. It's like you yeah. don't have to feel married to a three to five year contract if there's something you don't like. Swap it out, give something else a try, be dynamic, keep, you know, 80% or 90% of your stack in place, right? And I think that's, I know that's what we're hearing, but even, you know, from the DXP side, which was my prior life, we were starting to hear a lot of the rumblings of that as well. I think people want options. I think that's the biggest thing. Like, like, Graham, I love the, I have my opinion on this, but I want to hear your opinion on this. But like, you mentioned like this LLB example, right? Of just how disconnected some of these things are. What do you feel is keeping brands from taking this next step? Like what's holding them back? <sighs> I'm just going to be blunt. I'm going to say bad communication between marketing and IT for most of these big brands. Hmm. You have a mentality of one's leading or the other's leading. You have great innovative leaders in these different marketing and IT departments of these large brands, yet... It doesn't need to be seen as separate. Marketing is based on technology now. Technology is so ingrained in marketing that you just need to be able to do that. And these brands definitely just need to realize that you don't need to just take whatever comes out of the box out of an AEM. I mean, one of your lightning questions, I think, is, you know, what store have you used lately? I was using, right now I'm in the middle of building a house and I went on a site that sells lighting and they actually, I can tell, they actually use this large content management system and e-commerce system that they're locked into those features. So I can't go and research more about what they're selling because they want to push me off. So they put little text boxes off on the side that mm. link out to other pages. So you're, you no longer have an integrated experience. Mm. You can't bring that content in any longer. So it's just, it's about making it a unified experience. It's a customer experience. If you're not working on your customer experience as a brand, especially since COVID, and we've accelerated this now, you're going away, folks. I think Sorry, when, <laughs> no, that's great. Great, great point. I think when you are shopping around a site and you know the platform, then to me, they haven't done a good job differentiating brand. Like I can tell when I'm, shopping somewhere or I'm on a site or I'm somewhere and I'm like, oh, this is this platform. This is this platform. This is this platform. Because you're right. It feels like a, it feels a certain way. There's certain feature sets, certain limitations they're working within. And But again, this pros and cons here, mm -hmm. which how does a brand strategically think about this then as they're making this decision, given that there's pros and cons and there isn't right or wrong, there's different and how should a brand strategically think about open source versus SaaS as they're deciding what's best for them? Huh. That's a good question and a complex one because what we tell our clients at Craig Favorite is don't think of it as does open source do X or should I be using open source? It's think about your business problem. Think about what your business goal is. And then let's talk about what's the best for each one of those issues. So no matter which business you go to, you're going to have your top five or top 10 things that they're looking at. Some of those are going to be best hit with one platform or another. But just look at it as first look at your business and then start looking at technology. Don't try to take a square peg and fit it into a round hole as far as, oh, I, I want to do this. So let me go take a look at this platform. First look at it business-wise and then start shopping, really. That's the, the number one thing we talk about. Does that mm. make sense? 
It does. Yeah. And then would you say like, so how does that relate with for SMBs versus enterprise? Is one more geared to the other or better for the other? So I'm not in the small, medium business market, the SMB market, but I can imagine that the quick sort of drag and drop codeless experience getting out there very quickly is exactly what they want, right? And of course, the enterprise wants everything to be a special snowflake and everything has to be completely custom. The challenge where I think that we thrive is this SME market, small, medium enterprise, when a business is going from we're having some success to we're about to skyrocket or we're about to do something that's changing for our business is do they stay in that groove that's created by their platform, whatever it may be, that just has these features or do they go completely custom? That's Mm -hmm. where really looking at the advantages of open source and merging open source with SaaS really gets your best ROI, your best return. That's the most interesting customers that we have are the ones that are saying, we have an interesting problem we'd like to solve. That's one side. Then there's clients that want to innovate. I mean, I'm so impressed with, again, for people who live in Texas, HEB and Central Market. They went out and they said, yes, there's all these platforms out there, but we want to experiment, sort of like how Ferrari uses the Formula One circuit to experiment on their cars to then bring it to market. We want to experiment with the best possible process for customers. Mm -hmm. So they went out and they started with open source and then they started building their own very intricate system, always with that customer focus in mind. And they did some incredibly innovative things with central market and curbside and all the things they do. Mm. That's, you can't do that as fast, as cheap and as well without using open source. Yeah. Mike, you, for anyone listening. So Mike is CRO. I was going to mention this earlier. A lot of people might think that conversion rate optimization is also another acronym for CRO. So Mike is chief revenue officer, which is head of sales partnerships. So he works with partners and also a lot of larger clients. Like Mike, when you're talking with clients, how do you think about it as Bold works with a lot of different platforms. We work in the open source space. We work with platforms. How do you think about it for brands? How to approach it? how to think about it, and maybe what makes the most sense for them? Yeah, yeah, great question. I think very similar to the Kareem's approach of what he said, I think the goal is you have to start with what is the problem you're trying to solve? You know, what is the experience you're trying to create? What are the things that you aspire to be, right, as a brand? And what do you want to become? We see so many brands that actually choose technology before even answering this question. And honestly, that's a big part, honestly, we have a lot of customers that come and talk to us because we are trying to go and say, let's go figure out how Bolt can go solve some limitations based upon a technology choice, you know, before this was with this was actually vetted out. And I think for us, it's, you know, if we have the opportunity to drive that right engagement to, to start from the beginning and, and start piecing that through, I mean, that's the power of having choice, right? That's the power of if you want to call it modular, if you want to call it open source and SaaS combined, you know, it's all kind of the same type of theme, which is, we want to take a look at it. If it's simplicity and if it's just time to market and there's not a lot of complexity, well, let's go SaaS. That's the perfect way to go. And we have great partners out there, right, that we could take down that route. If they want to go content first, right, that starts to kind of think of like, well, let's start talking about what your content strategy is and not start with e-commerce. I think that's the biggest challenge is, is that sometimes you want to start with the e-commerce choice, mm. yet you're a huge content driver of where you're going to expect all your demand to come from you're starting the wrong way. And then what ends up happening is you have a limitation down the road. And then we have to go hire crowd favorite and Kareem to go unwire <laughs> and figure out how to go and, and bridge this together. So to me, it's like if we can get ahead of those conversations and, and really consult and identify it, bring in good partners like a crowd favorite and other ones we have in our ecosystem, we can bring that best of breed approach and hopefully create the experience that these brands are trying to get to. I want to echo what Mike said, because I think if you asked the question, What's the biggest challenge we face when we come into clients who are already down the road? It's almost always the fact that they started with thinking of content and e-commerce or marketing and e-commerce as two separate things, two separate sites, Mm -hmm. two separate processes. And they shouldn't be doing that anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, There's a ton out there on the 360 experience, and I won't get into that. But the bottom line is don't make that mistake because we've probably – spent way too much of our clients' money 
And we try to always spend the least possible in unseparating those two things. Yeah. E-commerce companies are content companies and content companies are commerce companies. Exactly. I agree. That's why I'm a fan of the DXP name, right? Yeah. yeah. And that was worth touching on that because that's not, I mean, what Gartner coined that a couple years ago. Like it's a mm-hmm. relatively new term. Yep. But that term defines, can you define it how you define it? Well, so originally it was CMS and then somebody said, well, now we have to do web-based CMS. So it's going to be WCMS. And then all of a sudden somebody said, well, it's more about the digital experience. And somebody asked, what does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) And there's a great definition somewhere out there for Gartner. But the bottom line is trying to make the entire experience with your customer feel integrated so Mm. that it's not, here's my marketing site, here's my customer Mm. service site, here's my Mm -hmm. e-commerce site, here's my... Here's my blog for, for wholesaling my, and blog over yeah. here, right? Yeah. Let's integrate that so that it's absolutely seamless. Let's bring that together so that the customer doesn't have to go, all right, where am I? And what yeah. do I have to go to next? Makes sense. You touched earlier on APIs and how APIs are now being used interchangeably with headless. That's a big area that we talk a lot about. Does that play into your world? It does. For some of our technical clients, it comes in just like that. But a lot of the times we get brought in by some of the upper level management that's saying, look, we don't want to talk about a technology. Don't talk to me about headless, decoupled and APIs. Talk to me about what my problem is. And my problem is omni-channel. My problem is how do I get out there across all the channels? And that's where then the technical terms decoupled, headless, that's where it comes into play. But we tend to talk about it more on the business side on purpose to try and keep it from somebody saying, well, we want to use this particular technology, this particular headless piece. The future is we're going to be speaking about the word headless, decoupled, or API in the next five years as much as today we say HTML and CSS. You just don't. Yeah. It's just under there. And it's about yeah. that omni-channel experience, right? Yeah, I like that. A couple more questions, and then I want to jump into, before we run out of time, some of our lightning round stuff. But what does the future hold for open source? And if you could relate it to commerce, because that's most of our listener base. But what, is, yep. what does the future hold, open source for commerce? Well, in a perfect world, we want to see the performance and the sheer power that is a maintained SaaS with the absolute innovation and flexibility of open source. Mm -hmm. That's what we're striving to build every single day across all the technologies we use, across all the things that we do. And that's something that I think is sort of the holy grail right now, is getting past this idea of what it was Mm -hmm. five years ago, if it's one thing or the other. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Couldn't agree more. I feel that's been the holy grail for a lot of years that has been trying to, you know, technologies have, you know, think back to IRCE in like 2010, 2011, and you're talking about Hybris and Adobe and (laughs) then trying to come together and do these type of things. And I think we're getting closer to getting there and doing it in a way that it's not paying multi-millions of dollars to actually get that technology as well. So yeah, I Mm -hmm. I think when you can bridge the power of both, that's when you're going to do some, you know, fairly incredible things. Yeah, because they each have their weaknesses, they each have their strengths. And yeah, I agree. Can I just ask a question, Kareem? I, you know, one of the things I hear about open source is vulnerability, security, that kind of stuff. Like there isn't like a ton of negative stuff out there, but that is one that comes up. How do you approach that with like, if someone listening right now is like, ah, open source, but there's vulnerability issues. I mean, what would you say to someone who's thinking that, who's listening? So it's out there, but today... If you have somebody telling you that open source today has that problem, it's usually somebody who's reading something that's very dated and old because Mm -hmm. open source absolutely had that problem. The roots of open Mm -hmm. source were just throw it up on any type of hosting and it'll just work. Well, that creates nothing but problems. I mean, in Mike's past life at WP Engine, they had that beat. Yeah. You put something like WordPress on something like WP Engine, Security is not an issue. 
vulnerability is not an issue. They just have it handled for you. That's part of that, you know, infrastructure as a service part of WP Engine that was just so mm-hmm. amazing from day one. Now, as you add pieces to that, it just becomes more and more robust. But getting back mm-hmm. to your question, today, nobody should be running any open source software on generic hosting somewhere. The reason why you go to an infrastructure as a service or a DXP platform or you start integrating with a SaaS is exactly for that reason. So yeah. the future is the sort of the mixing of the two. That's what we're yeah. getting at. Yeah, it's perfect. And that kind of just touches on what you just said five minutes ago about the future. Yeah. So what are you most excited about for the future of Crowd Favorite? Quite literally every week we are finding new ways that we didn't think of before of the advantages of crossing SaaS and open source. Hmm. I want to see where that goes. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's gigantic players out there with the investment of Salesforce into automatic for WordPress, for wordpress.com and VIP, all of that with what WP engine is doing on the content side is amazing with their headless. But then like with what we're doing with Bold and in the content space, to have that sheer power of instant performance availability, the heavy-duty crunching, the hard parts of the functionalities being taken care of in a SaaS, yet with mm-hmm. these strong APIs and these strong connections, being able to say, hey, I want to use a SaaS platform, but I also want it to be available to my open source piece So that way I can do conditional content or customization Mm -hmm. in a very customized way, right? That's where the future lies. And we have not seen the tip of the iceberg there. It's, it's coming. Yeah. That's the soundbite right there, Kareem. (laughs) I couldn't agree. Do you have any examples of any brands that are doing this in a meaningful way right now? Ones that I can talk about? (laughs) Yeah. Um, there's a lot not under breaking NDA. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on right this minute out there. But I'll talk about the fact that in the last three and four years, we were just talking about HEB a few minutes ago. Some of the things they did (laughs) around the customer were amazing. Nobody would have thought of doing that with open source. And the way they merged open source with with SaaS was just amazing. But really, it's anybody's game out there. It's ripe for disruption in the sense of brands who are looking to break out of how they're selling right now. Mm -hmm. With what you're doing at Bold, with what others are doing with different types of content personalization engines, the way all these things can combine, the sky's the limit, really. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it'll be an interesting next five to 10 years, that's for sure. Okay, before we run out of time here, I want to fire off some lightning round questions. Just got a few here and... I was telling Mike before this, one day I'm going to, I ask every guest similar questions and one day I'll compile it into a blog post or a short book or something. We'll see. But Kareem, what is the biggest mistake you see commerce brands make? (laughs) I'm going to say the lack of integration between them trying to sell you something and the rest of their customer service and marketing. Mm. Drives me crazy. What it's and it's different messaging, different you're getting one experience here and then a completely different experience. If I wasn't as technical as I am, I'd say I don't understand why these experiences are so different. But it's caused by the fact that they're using systems that just don't play well together and they haven't yep. thought it out. Yeah. Mike, I want to ask you these same questions as well too. What's a big mistake you see e commerce brands make? Choosing technology before understanding the problem. That's been the yep. biggest one recently. I feel yep. Two out of five customers we talk about, it's like they've already contracted with certain technologies. And then if we would have just slowed down and, and taken a more different approach, we could have solved this quicker, faster, probably cheaper. But I would say that's the big thing right now that we're seeing. Just think about the business problem that you're solving first and then allow the technology to be the second piece to come in. Yeah. I have a follow up on that. Today, business intelligence tools are very affordable. They're no longer mm-hmm. just for the Fortune 50. Mm-hmm. Business intelligence yep. tools, use them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. That's another big one. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when you are shopping mm-hmm. online outside of the technology in the back and stuff, when you're shopping online, Kareem, what's a pet peeve of yours? When people are setting up their online experience, test it with 
the Chrome forms fill in. You test it with one password, test it with one pass and all those other systems that are form fillers mm-hmm. because I don't want to fill out that damn form. <laughs> and so many of these sites have broken forms that don't work with the browser yeah. or the one, whatever. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> And that's literally one of the bigger conversion killers. I don't care if a site, I don't, to be honest, like, and and you know what? We, Bolt has a checkout and it's one of our products, but when I'm shopping, I don't care what checkout they use. My browser generally has everything saved in. It's one or two clicks for me to check out. Mm -hmm. And it's like when I fill out a form and I, they're not configured properly to know that it's a name, address field, different thing. And I have to type it in. I sometimes leave. I, yeah. Well, especially if it, if pre-COVID, I did a lot of traveling and I was based out of a couple of different cities. So I have to choose which one in this instance, right, when I'm buying X or Y. And right. it's not just one click. It's I have to go and choose. And if I come back, uh, it's a mess. Anyway, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, what's your biggest pet peeve? Well, you stole my first one, Kareem, because that Sorry. annoys me like crazy. But I'll, I'll have a, a fast follow second one is being that where we are and we're in 2021, you still have horrible mobile experiences with some of these e-commerce sites. You know, I won't name any names, but just same thing. I'm building a house, right? And we're renovating another house and I'm trying to get this house sold. So I'm going onto these different things where I'm trying to buy lighting. I'm trying to buy this. I'm trying to buy that. When I'm not in front of my laptop, I go into the mobile experience. And it's probably one of the most difficult things for some of these things where it's not unified. If you either from search, from your credentials, saving your cart, all these different things are simply broken. You know, text showing up in weird spots, not being able to click on buttons or whatever it may be. So yeah, I'll add in. That's my second one. I feel that should be, I feel that was a a big problem six or seven years ago about this whole like, you know, being mobile optimized and things like that, but still a big problem now. I love what Facebook did a few years ago where they made every product demo at the company, every, it has to be on a phone like literally mobile first, like no one would pull up and do a demo at a Facebook town hall on a laptop. It would always be on a phone. And it's interesting, like I noticed like Google, most of their products are actually better on mobile than they are on web. Like if you use Google Photos, there's better functionality in the Google Photos app on my phone than there is on Chrome in the desktop. They'll eventually add that into the desktop, but like I can search by maps on my phone, but I can't on desktop, right? Anyways, I think it needs to be just mobile first, not even equal anymore. I think it needs to lean towards, I agree. Kareem, what's your favorite thing about your job? Working with the people, the different teams. My team's awesome, but we get to work with other teams in the nature Mm. of our work and those social dynamics and solving the problems together. It's amazing. How about you, Mike? What's your favorite thing about your job? You're on the floor here because everyone at Bold will hear this. <laughs> <laughs> Look, first and foremost, it's obvious, right? Working with UJ, that's the only reason I even come into work uh, all the time. So that's, that's a big right. one. But uh, <laughs> no, people, culture, you know, culture of innovation, trust, you know what I mean? All those big things, the builder's code of what makes Bold amazing. I think, you know, Jay being one of the founders definitely built up an incredible company here. I would say secondary to that, Bold is modular, right? So we work with everybody. We're platform agnostic, you know? It's so cool to talk to all other types of technology out there, partners, and seeing kind of what the trends are, what people are thinking are, what the brands are thinking are, good or bad, right? What are the most bleeding edge ideas that are coming out there? And being to be a part and being kind of in the hub, right, of hearing all those things, I think that's what makes uh, the job exciting. I, I feel like every single day I had jump on a conversation and I learned something new or learned something that somebody's thinking about. So I think that's that's uh, another fun part of it. Yeah. Cream, do you have a favorite online store? I know you mentioned you shopped at that lighting place <laughs> earlier. I'm <laughs> sorry, yeah. plumbing place. Because of the business I'm in, I just, I shop at so many. I yeah. have many favorites. It'd be hard to pick one. But lately it's all been about construction. So a lot okay. of those <laughs> have a lot of feedback for all those stores if they get in touch with me. <laughs> I bet you that is probably a vertical that is ripe for uh, improvement. Oh, Because <laughs> they have, they all have massive catalogs that were probably built a long time ago and updating their systems is a lot more effort than probably a lot of, yeah, a lot of verticals. How about you, Mike? What's your favorite online store? Hard for me to choose one. I would say one kind of local, and I would say local, but you know, small, you know, D2C brand of uh, Viori. It's V-U-O-R-I.com. 
really cool clothes. So buy like, you know, kind of active shorts, shirts, pants, you know, things from that. I think it's a pretty cool brand. They you know, are starting to do some B2B. I've seen them pop up like an REI and some of these other things. I think from also kind of to a Kareem's point, kind of being in this like other I'm trying to think of like our newer house and stuff. I've been spending some time on restoration hardware and their site. So mm. see some awesome rooms of improvement, but they're also doing some My really great stuff as well. Store. You know, so like, you know, there's some some interesting things there, but so much opportunity there, I think, to make it a more seamless experience during COVID and things like that. But yeah, I would say, yeah, it's uh, I shop just kind of everywhere. It's crazy. I don't have like one go to. It's just depending on the week and what's highest importance. Props to Restoration Hardware, though. You're absolutely right. Yeah. When their new catalog comes every couple times a year, it's like Christmas. <laughs> and they have a great approach too. Like if you've ever been into their store, I mean, the way they have the, you know, walk in, build your room on an iPad, save that to your catalog. So then you can go back and have like four different mm-hmm. versions of the type of bedroom or living room that you want to build out. And then they have the integrated sales process where you have your consultant that's reaching out to you to help you. So like I said, it's less kind of like Kareem said earlier, it's less about just like the website. It's about like, I think they've nailed that entire customer experience, right? From the point that you walk into a store to online to, you know, helping you kind of make the decision. Totally. Two more questions. Mike, I'll start with you on this one. What's one thing you think almost every store can do to grow sales or where are they leaving money on the table? Man, that's a there's a lot of stuff right there. But I think right now during COVID, you need optionality right now. You know, I think brands that haven't given their customers options on how to purchase, where to purchase, but also how to fulfill. Right. Like I think that's one yeah. great thing. Like I know Staples Canada is doing right now with like split orders, right? Is they they give their customers options of if somebody bought five products, they can figure out the best way, right? Either if it's pickup in store or delivery or whatever it may be there's still a lot of brands that are falling behind on that. And I think the ones that we know, and we can't name all of them, but Jay, you and I know this, that the ones who have made those moves are making a ton of money right now. And they're transacting a ton right now and they're beating out their competition. So I think more options. I think the landscape of e-commerce is changing. So I think a lot of people now have gotten actually used to this like curbside pickup and how easy it is and how efficient it is where it used to just be kind of like a Maybe I can use this to now I think that's going to be the norm where people are just going to go click, 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 drive up. They get notified, pop it in your trunk and you're gone and you take 10 minutes versus an hour, right? So I think things are going to be changing overall. I want to just add one quick thing to that too. Like I ask this to a lot of guests and they always, it's yeah, meeting customers where the customer wants to be. I think curbside pickups going to evolve. I think we're in the infancy stages of it. I think I can see a world where in a few years there's hubs in cities because like, Right now I'm doing five curbside pickups, five different places waiting 20 minutes. I think some savvy entrepreneur is going to open up hubs where I can order from five different places and pick up from those hubs. And then someone else might even deliver from those hubs. But I think we're in the very early days of this new logistics for brands. I think that's going to be drastically improved in the next couple of years. Well, even like, uh, for example, on like the last mile delivery, I think it was DoorDash is starting to do that already on the delivery side where I made an order. And then right when I made the order, they said, this person's in this area, here are five stores in that area. Do you want to go add anything else at no additional shipping cost? Like just because that person's around, they can make another stop and go pick you up a few other things if you need it. And actually used it. Like I was like, oh, cool, you're by there. Yeah, I can use X, Y, and Z. And they picked it up on the way, no change and delivered. So yeah, I think it's infancy, but that's going to be, yeah, new ways on how to consume. So I'll piggyback on that. Home Depot has received a lot of accolades for their curbside pickup. Yet the one thing they need is that fast food drive through window of how long the customer's been waiting since they get to the party. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. the number of times I've waited for a half hour or 40 minutes for something that I could have just gone into the store and bought in 10 yeah. just ruins the experience. Because you're stuck in, you've already paid for it. Now you don't want to go in and you're stuck waiting there. Yeah. To tell you the truth, Kareem, I made the choice to just go in because of that. The last time I had that experience, where I'm like 45 minutes an hour, I was like, I got this much time to go do this before my next meeting. I was like, nope, I'm just going to run in. It'll take me 20 minutes. And Kind of killed that, right? <laughs> that's a good call out. Yeah, that's what we're, we want our customers not to have to go through, right? Yep. Exactly. All right, my last question for you two gentlemen. Most of our listeners are business owners, they're entrepreneurs, they're partners, agencies, brands. What's a quote each of you that has meant something to you or that you live by related to business? Mike, I feel like you probably have 20. You're the most inspirational guy I know on Twitter and LinkedIn. 
I had to get it word for word here, though. So you, you kind of caught me off guard. Kareem, you have one off the top of your head? <laughs> off the top of my head, my business partner and I constantly trade back and forth, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. That's internally. And then as far as working with our staff, I'll say that we're big fans of uh, the West Wing. So the idea of keeping things moving all the time, mm. my favorite quote is, what's next? Mm. Yeah, that's good. It's so funny. I listened to, uh, I'm making my way through the Adam Grant podcast, which is Work Life, which I highly recommend anyone listening. And the episode I actually listened to today was, and I can't remember the guest he interviewed name, but uh, she talked all about discomfort and being comfortable, being uncomfortable. And she consults with companies in Silicon Valley. And one of the things she teaches them was to onboard for discomfort. That's part of the onboarding process is onboarding for discomfort. And I just thought that was so enlightening. And she encourages companies to have what they call a problem box. So it's not a complaint box. It's not a suggestion box. It's a problem box. And you can put your problems in there. And it's okay that it's uncomfortable. You don't know the answer to these problems, but it's creating a company that's open and vulnerable and it's uncomfortable and that's okay. That's how you grow and that's how innovation happens. So I love that. Yeah. How about you, Mike? Yeah. So I had to look it up so I didn't do it because it's a, um, so I'm a big fan of stoicism and, you know, and just that whole philosophy of controlling your outcomes, you know what I mean? Being able to control that. And one, it, it could be a little dark, but it, doesn't mean it the way it is, but it's from Seneca. And it says, uh, he who fears death will never do anything worth a man who is alive. And a part of that is it's about letting mm-hmm. fear control the things that you want to go do. And I think, you know, when you kind of push that mm-hmm. into business, right? And into if you're a startup, if you're an entrepreneur, and you know this, you know, ever Jay, it's like, are you going to sit back and make fear and never make that move? Never make that risk, never make that push to go and do the things that you did, right? To go help create what bold is today. And I use that along with a lot of my teams, right? Like I would rather us make a decision and go do something and then have the fear for the outcome that something bad could happen. And I'd rather go do it and fail fast, right? And do something and figure out and learn and and go to do that. So it's a big philosophy that I've kind of taken, you know, in my entire career is I'd rather go back and say, I tried and failed versus saying I didn't actually try and then keep thinking about the regrets, right? Of doing it. So 100%. And who doesn't love a quote from Seneca? Come on, he's wrong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Straight, straight no better the, way to end it off. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kareem, thank you so much for joining us. Where should I send everyone listening to to learn more about you and CrowdFavorite? CrowdFavorite.com for anything we can help anybody with that has to do with their digital needs. I can be found at Kareem Maruki on Twitter and Maruki.com if they have a request that's outside of digital. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Cream. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Jay. Mike, it's been a pleasure. Always. Thank you. That's it for another episode of Own Your Commerce. If what you've heard has helped you in any way, I'd love it if you'd leave us a review in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. It's a new podcast and reviews really help spread the word. And if you know someone you think that might benefit from this podcast, share it with a friend. If you'd like to learn more about Bold, visit boldcommerce.com. You can view all our past episodes. And if you have a story you'd like to tell, we'd love to have you on the show. You can apply to be a guest or suggest a guest on our website as well. That's all for now. And we'll see you next week. Thank you.